You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hi, I'm Shelley MacArthur Everett, and you're listening to Marketing News Canada. Today, I'm excited to welcome our next guest, Mandy Gilbert. A best-selling author, entrepreneur, CEO, and investor, Mandy has been recognized as a United Nations Global Accelerator and ranked as one of Canada's top female entrepreneurs on Canadian Business's Profit 500 list and Chatelaine's W100 list. In 2002, Gilbert started Creative Niche, a specialized recruitment firm focused on marketing, advertising, tech, and digital, and was one of the first female-founded recruitment firms to compete in a predominantly male industry. Today, it brings more than 10 figures in annual sales and has successfully placed over 14,000 professionals in award-winning creative agencies, high-profile tech companies, and Fortune 500 across North America. Her book, Just Go With It, How to Navigate the Ups and Downs of Entrepreneurship, became an Amazon bestseller in its debut week and was recommended by Forbes, Entrepreneur, and many other business publications. Gilbert also writes weekly columns for Inc. Magazine and is a contributor to Rolling Stone. Hi, Mandy. So great to have you join me today. Thanks. Hi, Shelley. I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah, we've had some great chats offline already, so much so that I lost a bit of track of time, but figured we should get started here. I know we're all really excited to hear about your journey as an entrepreneur, and yeah, maybe you can tell us how you got started. Yeah, you know, if you can believe it, I was just messaging with my team of something that we need to think about is our upcoming 20th anniversary. Wow. So you can imagine that in almost 20 years, it's been a real journey. I actually started my business after a really crazy whirlwind of an opportunity that I was working on achieving, actually. I was working for a large public recruitment company. And my goal was to one day get chosen to have this position. It came with a really large increase, but more importantly for me, it gave me an opportunity um, at C-suite of a public company. I had a seat at the table and I was going to be traveling around as a director, making recommendations, training, and helping growing teams across the United States. So I was, I was so happy to get this opportunity and this promotion internally. And I finally got my offer letter and I was sitting at the office and they had it in front of me. The company announcement was going out the next day. I was 27 years old. I had just gotten married and I couldn't sign the offer letter. Just something was not, something just was holding me back from, from signing it. And so I actually quickly signed it. And then I ran over to the shredding machine. I shredded it. And I just thought, I am not, at the end of the day, I didn't feel philosophically aligned with the organization or my role. And um, I had been struggling with that kind of balance because it was a great opportunity, but there was something that just wasn't resonating with my heart, my belief system. And so I went and I shredded it and I thought, wow, Everyone was counting on me signing this offer. I'd been in discussion for weeks. And uh, the next day I went in and I resigned. I went and I resigned. I went and got a personal line of credit. And a week and a half later, I moved into my little co-working space. I had a 150 square foot office with no windows. And um, I had my big purple iMac that I lugged into the office with me. And that's, that's how I got started. Wow. And what were you getting started on? 
Well, I, I loved what I did. And um, so I've been in recruitment. And like many people that get into recruitment, you do not go to university to focus in that. You kind of just land there. And I really love the the purpose of the, of the recruitment function. You know, you're making meaningful matches. Oftentimes, candidates can be misrepresented or they're not sure what direction they should choose. So playing a role in having those candid and very vulnerable conversations um, and helping, helping candidates, you know, find the right opportunity, but also building entrepreneurial companies, building teams and, and, and cultures. It's a very rewarding role. So I loved what I was doing. I just didn't particularly feel aligned with the organization and the way that it operated. And there was nothing, you know, horrible about it. It just, I, I felt an, there was an opportunity to do things differently. So I, um, what I decided to do was continue to do what I loved. And so I opened up a recruitment agency of my own. Um, and uh, I secured a, a big startup loan of $8,000, which was really enough to keep me afloat for, for six weeks with no plan B. I didn't have anybody, anyone in my network that, that had money and there was no real plan B. So it was, it was go time. Yeah. So interesting. My start as an entrepreneur is actually fairly similar to that, but it was the decision for me to not return after my first maternity leave. And I had fully planned on going back and just something struck where I was thinking, I don't, I just couldn't see how that would work for me anymore and took a leap of faith, had a fallback plan in case I had completely failed. And luckily, nine years later, here I am. So That's yeah, awesome. I think I think when you don't have an option of failure, that really keeps you going for sure. Yes, it's a great motivator. <laughs> it's a great motivator for sure. Yeah. So 20 years later, tell me about Creative Niche. Uh, well, you know, Creative Niche is a purely specialized recruitment firm that's focused in advertising, marketing, digital. We work a lot in tech. So over the years, we've gone through different changes. You know, as an entrepreneur, you're always you're always iterating, coming up with different ideas um, and, and ways to innovate within your space. So I'm sure, as, as you can imagine, in that 20 years, you know, I had two kids. Uh, amazing kids that are now 16 and 13 happen very, very quickly. They grow up fast. So I, I had a family and in the background, you know, went through a very significant recession that hit us very quickly. I didn't have the real, you know, business experience to navigate that very well. I felt very alone. Uh, it was an incredibly scary time. And as I mentioned before we got started is that my business outgrew my own capabilities. I actually don't have a university degree. I had never really been mentored in business before becoming an entrepreneur. So there's been a lot of difficult growth stages for me. You know, one being, you know, the most important is really becoming a better leader and becoming more self-aware of how you make people feel and how you motivate them um, and how you ensure that they have an understanding of their impact and, you know, what you're looking to accomplish in your vision and your goals, and they have an opportunity to, to be heard. And so developing as a leader has been hugely important to me and our ability to scale over time. And so today where we are, we are the largest in our space. We work with a, a lot of leading organizations in different sectors, um, not just across Canada, but we also do work in the U.S. as well. And we are in the process of scaling further. So we ended up launching, launching a secondary company over COVID. That was actually just a, a special project that we tried and we pitched it to a couple of companies and it's just taking off. So we're very excited about that. And we're really excited about going into our 20th year. 
Um, I've got a fabulous team and we're incredibly, you know, grateful and fortunate to work with uh, awesome talent and, and clients. Would you say that there was a pivotal moment as an entrepreneur, one where you felt like there was a bit of a crossroads where you felt like you said before that your business was kind of outgrowing you? Was there a moment where you just kind of, it clicked? There were moments that, you know, I guess parts of my challenges clicked because, you know, for me, I was having a difficult time having tough conversations. So for me to learn how to have the courage to go forward and have embrace tough, you know, tough conversations and, and make and be decisive and being confident in making decisions in, in the business, you know, those are two that probably, you know, stand out. But I think it was probably around, you know, five or six years ago when I walked into work and I thought, it's actually been a long time since I have felt this engaged and happy because I had been doing a lot of work and I had some things to prove to my team because, you know, through my journey and as being an entrepreneur, we, we can always, we can sometimes have a challenge with staying focused and not being distracted and following through with some of our ideas and, and having that kind of consistency. And I had been doing a lot of work on my leadership style, but also just my, my discipline and staying on track and being consistent and, and having that focus. So there was a day when I felt like everything had come together, like the culture felt great. I had promoted some individuals and we now had a leadership team. I was being a lot more vulnerable of things that were keeping me up at night. And I think as an entrepreneur, we always want to protect our team from that. So we just carry all of that burden and worry. And some of that just needs to stay with us because we also don't want to freak people out. But for, you know, the less scary things, and I eventually even shared some of the scary things. And what I learned was sharing those things weren't very scary to other people. We were able to really get behind them and ideate and come up with some solutions. And a byproduct of that is that you grow your team. You grow your team, but you grow amazing relationships that are, are significant. And, um, and, and when you accomplish things as a team and as a leadership team, they're hugely rewarding. And there's that, there's that feeling and, and, and level of connectedness you just you don't have otherwise. Yeah, I think vulnerability is something that some can say that it's a sign of weakness to be vulnerable. But at the same time, you're really just also showing your team that you trust them with that level of vulnerability and that you're human as well. And so once you're able to forge a bit more of a connection that way, I think it just makes everyone stronger together in the end. I agree. Vulnerability is a sign of, uh, for me, it's a sign of, of courage and, and not a weakness. And there's, there's a difference between, you know, oversharing your own issues. That's mm -hmm. not vulnerability, but I think that it, it's in the lens of transparency of what's going on. And, uh, and being honest and, and real about what's going on. So I, I do think there's a difference and it's understanding what that difference is as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. How has recruitment changed over the years? And certainly 20 years, you've seen quite the journey. Mm -hmm. I imagine, especially it's changed significantly even in the past couple of years, but what does that look like for you? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, when we're working in a lot of the creative tech, digital side of things, so we're usually tasked with you know working on emerging roles. 
So one thing that's always changing is the tech platforms, the new new operations in terms of like how organizations are structuring and building teams with new capabilities. Um, so, you know, growth marketing, for instance, hasn't really existed that long. So helping navigate and learn all of that and stay on top of it. It's an awesome opportunity for our team. We're always learning from our clients and from, of course, our, our candidates and our interviewing process. So for us, you know, the change has been we were working on um, a lot of more executional and conceptual roles back in the day. And now we're working on a lot more technical roles and new and emerging roles that are, are super cool. So that's something that is always kind of changing. Now we're seeing, and you know, specifically, you know, you know, since the pandemic, recruitment has been, you know, significant. A lot of organizations claim to be have gone through digital transformation, but when the pandemic hit, I think a lot of organizations were like, okay, well, we've been talking about it and we've got our strategic plan for that and we've started executing on that a bit, but we, we're not through digital transformation. So there's been a tremendous amount of hiring on, um, you know, product product side, you know, UX, UI, project management. And um, I mentioned that we work with a lot of leaders. And so on the tech side, we're working with a lot of different organizations that have received substantial funding. So putting in CMOs uh, to continue with their growth, uh, meet some of their, their KPIs and metrics. So I would say that, you know, for us, the the levels have gone up the pressure has gone up for sure because it is a, a real talent marketplace. And I know anybody listening to this is shaking their heads. So one thing in particular that we've seen in the last 18 months that I haven't seen like together in all of my 22 years of recruitment is that how many aggressive counter offers have been made and accepted. So usually by the, the time a candidate it's like, oh, I'm not really feeling it. I'm being overlooked for opportunity. I'm not being acknowledged. I'm working too hard. I'm going to apply for a role. I'm going to go through that. And if I get that role, I'm leaving this company because they've not really been treating me that great. Well, so counter offers were never really a challenge. But during the pandemic, we've lost more opportunities from counter offers than we have multiple offers. So organizations have really doubled down on their retention strategy. And so we have seen increases up to 25% to retain somebody who's resigned. And that's pretty significant. And sometimes one or two layers up in title bump. And so um, employers have, you know, have been overworked, I think that, you know, everybody, um, you know, within organization, with, whether you're leading an organization or a team, or you are, you're on that team, everyone's been working um, a significant amount of hours and, you know, and from home for the most part. When I speak from Toronto, like, or in Ontario, we've had the longest lockdown of a, uh, you know, of a city and a region of our side is in, in the world. So working from home, there's no differentiation. So everyone's just been working around the clock um, for, for, for so many months. And I think that leaders and organizations have recognized that knowledge transfer is very difficult to do, especially when you're busy and to do it virtually is tough. So you're, you're missing shadowing, you're missing culture integration, you're missing all of these things are just way more complicated. In addition to that, you have your own workload. And so that's, that's created this, this 
craziness in the market around uh, retention strategies and, and counter offers because nobody wants to lose people. It's it's a real inconvenience and it's, it can put business at risk. Yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some strategies that you're you're seeing businesses employing in regards to retention? Because it's not all about salary and mostly it's actually quite the opposite. Yeah. So I mean, retention is a big one. And I was actually doing a talk yesterday about, uh, we, we ended up focusing quite a bit on retention. It was for leaders who are having a difficult time attracting and retaining um, their, their, their employees. You know, there's a number of things. I mean, first of all, I, I believe that over communication is, um, is a really good thing right now. Millennials make up the majority of our workforce. We know they want to be communicated to. They want to know where they stand. They want to be acknowledged and they want flexibility. And so in retention, I think it's important to ideate on pillars whether you know it could be compensation, um, do we have anyone who has done comparisons to see if our compensation is competitive? Because sometimes it is money, depending on the the level of position. If somebody can get a five thousand dollar increase and that's more money for their family, even if they love your company, they might leave you for compensation, and that would be a real shame. And so it's looking at you know are we paying competitively, not from where we were two years ago, but to the market today. And if you don't know that, assign somebody internally to do some competitive analysis and understand how you are faring, looking at your perks. So are your days off competitive? Do you have any fun incentives that you can offer? And if you are not a big organization or a very wealthy organization, not all perks and incentives have to cost a lot of money. So looking at your perks, looking at your communication, looking at, you know, you know, going back to compensation, is there pay equity? 
Are we paying women the same amount for, for individuals that have contributed for a longer period of time in a more impactful way? Um, they're an exemplary employee. They uh, lead by example. Have you gone? Have you acknowledged them? Have you given them a proactive increase? So it's really getting in tune with that in terms of like figuring out the soft side of it and the compensation side of it. And it's looking at your data. So, you know, some leaders go, you know what? I can't pay anybody anymore. I just can't. I am maxed out. I can't keep up with this, this bidding process. Like it's crazy. I can't, I can't keep up. Looking at your data. So how much does it cost your business if you don't fill a position? How much does it cost your business if you lose great people? Because you can, you can really, you can really find some money and opportunity to be creative. And, you know, I, I heard from a leader who said, you know, she assigned a task force to look at something so they could be a little bit more efficient as a company. And that efficiency actually created a cost savings, a direct cost, cost savings of $450,000. And she took that money to recognize her staff. Like, isn't that cool? No, um, amazing. So- so, so thinking about ideas in which that, you know, can you re-go- renegotiate some of your, your vendors? Is there a way to create some cost savings for your business that you can in return then give some of that back to your employees as a retention strategy? So it is about knowing what's out there and what's competitive and also thinking creatively about what can you do without hurting your, your bottom line too. Yeah, absolutely. How do you go about finding individuals? Well, I mean, they're out there. We all have access to them through platforms in a creative niche has been at it for a while. So um, we have a fairly, fairly large network and referral program, but we do targeted direct recruitment. So that's how we go about finding our clients. We were never really looking for the, not always, but the candidates who's, who are applying for positions. We go out and, and you know, for the roles and organizations that we work at, they want passive candidates. So they're, they're out there. The problem is that everyone is, is, is in touch with them. So it, it's almost a full-time role for them to respond to everyone who's reaching out about a great opportunity. So it's figuring out how you can differentiate your opportunity from others and not misrepresents uh, what you can actually offer. So it, it's a lot of hard work to, to get some of these in-demand candidates to engage with you and to be receptive to hearing about, you know, various opportunities. Are there certain strategies that you employ? You know, I find sometimes when I'm interviewing individuals, they know exactly what you want to hear. And so oftentimes the first three-month period is the real interview. And I'm, I've been surprised way more than I wanted to be with how it actually works out. But how do you go about trying to really filter out those types of candidates from the beginning so that, you know, those, those mismatches aren't made? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I understand that's tough. I've, I've been, uh, I've been tricked a few times myself. It happens to, to the best of us. I think it's, it's a matter of having a great interviewing process. So like uh, for creative niche, we have we have two interviews, and then we have an amazing interviewing committee. It's a culture interview. It's actually longer than the first two, and they actually uncover a lot about you know decisions to make you know changes from one company to the next, roles like they really get in there. So, and they they actually have the final stamp of they give us the final stamp of approval is our, our culture committee. They play a huge role in our, in our recruitment process. So, I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, hire slow and fire fast. So I think it's, 
it's fair to say sometimes you hire individuals and they just don't work. That could be your fault too. Maybe they onboard them correctly. Maybe you 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 motor through the interviewing process because you just wanted them to be perfect because you're you need to hire and get this off your plate. So you know it's really making sure that you have that thorough process and you're really uncovering everything you need to. But um, sometimes people don't work out and that's okay. You know, I, I really firmly believe people wake up every day and want to provide value and do a good job and feel good when they leave for the day. So if somebody's not doing that, they're probably getting an inclination and, and know as well that maybe they're not hitting at home. So the fairest thing to do is let them go and let them go with class and dignity and, and, and do that in a very thoughtful way. And so I, I think, you know, it, you can always prevent hiring somebody who doesn't work out, but you can, you can wrap it up quickly. And I think most people do recognize uh, when, when, when flags are, are, you know, being raised internally, either you're seeing it yourself or others are sharing that with you. So it is a matter of taking action and making sure that people have had the, the amount of time and the amount of feedback and uh, communication so they don't feel blindsided. Um, you know, um, being let go is a very traumatic experience for most people. So you want to be as professional and thoughtful about that process and, um, and, and make that happen. Are there certain traits in individuals that you're looking at when hiring, no matter what the position is? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, people go, oh, the top skill now is, you know, Google and, and here, you know what? I'd say that it's collaboration and effective communication. And I think that, you know, it's it's one of the most important skill sets. Now, even the few in the future, when they do projection of the top skills in 10 years, um, most of it's people skills, if you look at it. Pretty interesting. So collaboration, teamwork, communication. But being able to collaborate means that you need to be a bit vulnerable of what you know, what you don't know. And you also need to have an open mind that, hey, your idea was great, but this person's might, you know, this person might have a different spin on it that might be a more effective solution or concept. So Mm -hmm. it's being able to take feedback and not get too stuck with uh, your beliefs or your ideas and, and, and collaborating effectively. And I think that we have really recognized who's great at that and who's not great at that during the pandemic because collaborating is even a little bit trickier when you're doing it virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I firmly believe that collaboration makes magic happen in organizations. That's how you get better. That's how you learn. And that's how you gain awareness of where things are, are really at and, and where you're going. So that's what I would, uh, that's what I would consider a top skill for today. Mm-hmm. One thing that I noticed during the pandemic when everyone was working working virtually is that in an office when you're all together, you'll you'll often see a lot of the extroverted employees that are the louder employees that are the first to speak up. But when we went to a virtual em- environment, I think it let a lot of the more introverted employees shine in that they were speaking up virtually rather than in an open forum. So mm-hmm. I think that that was really neat to see. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me about your new book, or it's just come out in the past year or so. What led you to become an author? Um, well, I've been speaking for some time now, and you know it's interesting. I think since you know the rise of social media, we often compare ourselves to the ideal. So when you're looking at you know Inc or Entrepreneur or Forbes, it's, um, you know, this person just raised, you know, a crazy amount of money or did a really big exit and look at them, you know, they're 25 and they're amazing. And that's great. And you know what, there's some 
incredible entrepreneurs and business leaders are doing super cool things. So when I've been doing my talk, I'm actually very open about the realities for me and the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So my book is not about, look at me, what I've accomplished. My book has been like all of the tough lessons that I've had to learn along the way. And with the hope that similarly to when I speak, I get a lot of people that want to come and, you know, give me a hug or to say, thanks for being real. Because I think being an entrepreneur, you put everything on the line and, you know, people think you put everything on the line and that is money. And you do have money on the line. You do. And you do have a lot of financial pressure, but you're also putting everything else on the line. You're putting your, your confidence on the line. You're putting your ego on the line. You're putting your heart on the line. There's a lot more to it. And, you know, forget imposter syndrome. You know, I've created a new syndrome. It's called loser syndrome. And I, as an entrepreneur, I have often felt like a big loser, failure, in fact, because we can get stuck in comparing ourselves to the ideal. But when you see these, these great entrepreneurs and leaders that have done these awesome things, know that they too have a story. It's, it's, it's never a straight line to success. It's never a straight line. And also not every business is going to be a, a unicorn. And there's nothing wrong with a $2 million business or a $10 million business. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, when you look at the numbers, those businesses make up the majority of our economy. And every business can be successful and you can be enough. And you can always, if you fall out of love in your business, which happens when you go through really tough times, you can always reconnect with it. And, you know, and work on the areas that you need to work on to develop, to be a better entrepreneur. When you're a better entrepreneur, it means that you are happier and you go home with a different energy and you come to the office with a different energy that your, your team will observe and notice. So that was the motivation is that I don't have the bandwidth always to do as many talks as I would like because I am, you know, I'm in it. Uh, I'm working. I'm a practitioner, but I'm also a writer. Um, so I have a weekly column with Inc. And I'm also a tech investor. So, and I sit on a couple of boards. And so I can. I have a limited amount, of, a limited amount of time to do speaking. And so I wanted my book to reach those entrepreneurs in hopes that there's something there that really resonates them or triggers an idea of something that they can try differently, or at least that if it, if it gives them peace of mind that. Success does not happen overnight and it's a bit of a bumpy path, but it, it should be worth it. It should be worth it because we do put everything on the line and we walk away from security, you know, for this adventure. So it should be rewarding. It should be fun. You should be making money. You should be able to take time off and, and not really compromise for, for not having those things in your life. Mm -hmm. Those are all such amazing points and really important for any entrepreneur, no matter where... What, where they are in their journey. And it can be quite lonely. And those ups and downs can happen so quickly. You can, from day to day sometimes, you know, you or even, even the same day, such a great morning, earn some new contracts in the afternoon, one phone call can set it off. So right. it's great to have that a network of other people as well that you can relate to. And we talked a little bit about this offline that, you know, for the first part of both of our entrepreneur journey, we were a bit on an island. And yeah, I think it's I think it's good sometimes to connect with other people that are going through the same thing for sure. Yeah. So 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Well, Mandy, are you ready for a bit of rapid fire questions? I am. Fire away. All right. So first thing that comes to your mind, no wrong answers. Okay. And one word, if possible. Okay, let's do it. Okay. What was your first job? My first job was a telemarketer. Are you a night owl or an early bird? Night owl. Are you a cat or dog person? Definitely dog. What was the first thing you marketed? Radio stations. Dark chocolate or milk? Dark. What is your favorite word right now? Hmm. Clarity. What was the last charity you supported financially with your time or with your time? I'll start over. Sorry. What was the last charity you supported either financially or with your time? The Remix Project. A movie you love? Cinema Paradiso. A favorite song or album on repeat right now? Mm-hmm. Way Too Sexy, Drake. Love it. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? Impact work. Do you have a favorite children's book? Good Night Moon. Nice. Mine too. <laughs> uh, what was the best thing you've purchased for under $10? Oh, that's a stumper. Um, a croissant this morning. It's delicious. Nice. What would your superpower be? Connecting people. What was the last thing you Googled? Um, last thing I Googled was information about my puppy. A business or a marketing book that you'd recommend? Scaling up, Vern Harnish. Good one. A life hack that you'd be willing to share? Outsource as much as you can so you can enjoy your life. Yes. Any skills that you would recommend for a new economy, like job skills or perhaps something emerging? Digital marketing and data. Thank you, Mandy. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. Yeah. Anything that you'd like to share with our listeners? What's what's on the horizon for you? Um, The horizon for me... That's that's a great question. I am in the process of of scaling a new business, and I'm really loving and enjoying that process. That feels uh, feels like kind of that same feeling I had 20 years ago, and I'm just I'm really enjoying that that process quite a bit. I'm also doing quite a bit of speaking, which I really enjoy, um, and I'm really looking forward to to doing that in person because virtually it's very. I agree. Yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult. You just don't get that energy from an audience and the ability to connect with it, with anyone. So, yeah. I'm I'm in, yeah I'm enjoying that. So, uh, lots of good stuff in the horizon. I'm very feeling you know, very engaged and excited. Nice. Um, yeah. Where can people find you? Um, people can find the book on Amazon, and they can they can find me at Mandy at creativeniche.com. Um, if they wanted to fire over an email, uh, no problem. Um, yeah. Thank you, Mandy. This has been so great. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Shelly. That's so great. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.